right, well, maybe I'll get started here. Um, so those are, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Rob Snyder. I'm one of the uh, elders here at Calvary Grace Church. And I want to open with a question before I um, pray. Who here is familiar with David Brainerd? Raise your hands. Most people. Um, okay. So David Brainerd is going to be the man that I'm talking about uh, for this session this morning. David Brainerd and cross-cultural witness. And I'm going I'm to pray and ask for the Lord's help, and then we can jump in. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, even as we have heard your word this morning, Father, we've been reminded uh, that without your Spirit's power, Lord, even your very words, even the reading and preaching and teaching of your words will be dead and it will fall on deaf ears. So, Father, even as I am not necessarily preaching your word now, but even as I am teaching, uh, even from your word, just pray, uh, Father, that you would attend this time now by your spirit. You'd even empower me in my own weakness and even the listeners here in their weaknesses. Father, we want to see Christ exalted. We want to learn, even from this historical figure, even David Brainerd, about missionary motivation. So just attend us now by your Spirit. May Christ be exalted. And just pray that the folks here would be encouraged and edified. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so it sounds like most of the folks here are somewhat familiar with David Brainerd, have at least heard the name. Just by way of review, David Brainerd was a missionary uh, in the western regions of the New England colonies for about five years. So we're talking 1742 to 1747. 1742 to 1747. If you're uh, somewhat familiar with those dates, that would be the Great Awakening era. Now, names like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield have been mentioned uh, so far this weekend at this conference. This is the era that David Brainerd ministered to the natives uh, in the New England colonies. So we're talking the western regions of the New England colonies during that time. So it was around this time then that that figures like... um, so just picture Jonathan Edwards, right? Uh, uh, George Whitfield and others going forth, preaching the gospel. Many people are being converted as the gospel goes forth in the Spirit's power. People are being convicted of sin and are being saved. And during this time of the Great Awakening, believe it or not, I, I would suggest that even to this day, even in 2023, we are still feeling the ripple effects of that era in church history. So it was during this era that David Brainerd, this young man, 24 years old, was hired by the Scottish Society for the Propagation of Christian Knowledge, that's a mouthful, to be a missionary to the natives in the New England colonies. Now the reason why we know about Brainerd, this is a very interesting fact, is because Brainerd himself actually died in Jonathan Edwards' home. David Brainerd died in Jonathan Edwards' home. Well, what, what, how did that happen? Well, David Brainerd, he, 
he had uh, picked up tuberculosis probably around 1740 during his studies at Yale. And he dies after roughly five years of missionary work in 1747, October 9th, 1747, in Jonathan Edwards' home. So he was only a missionary for about five years. Had tuberculosis the entire time. Died in 1747. So how did he end up in Edwards' home? Well, a a pastor's parsonage at the time uh, was actually, it was very often a a warm and welcoming place for visitors, particularly even pastoral apprentices. So basically, Brainerd sort of jumped on his horse as he was slowly dying of tuberculosis. He had to leave uh, the tribe that he was working amongst. He rode on his horse, rode up to Edwards' home, and they warmly invited him in. He, He... he was hoping to get better, to convalesce. He stayed in Edward's home for eight months, and he ended up dying at the age of 29. Well, having died in Edward's home, Brainerd left his diary in Edward's care. Originally, Brainerd thought that the diary, his diary of his missionary efforts and so on was not worth much. Um, but after Edward's received Brainerd's diary... Edwards read it, and he thought, this stuff is, is pure gold. This needs to be published. So what happened is Edwards edited it and published it. It was, it was published in 1749, so Brainerd died in 1747. Uh, the Life of David Brainerd was published in 1749. And believe it or not, if you know Jonathan Edwards, very influential, obviously in Reform circles, think of guys like John Piper, who have been very influenced by him. His ministry has been. The Life of David Brainerd, believe it or not, was Edward's most popular work. And it has never been out of print since 1749. So I just want to give you a little snippet of what Edward said about Brainerd in the preface to the life. Edward said, quote, God has from age to age raised up some eminent persons that have set bright examples of that religion that is taught and prescribed in the word of God. Whole examples have in divine providence been set forth to public view. He goes on, quote, such an instance we have in the excellent person whose life is published in the following pages, end quote. So if Edwards uh, said this about Brainerd, I would suggest that Brainerd is probably worth reading and listening to. And I would strongly encourage you even to pick up a copy of his journal, uh, um, like I said, it's, so it's been in print since 1749, never been out of print. What that means is it's public domain. If you go online, there's a lot of not-so-good copies of the book. One edition I would suggest is the Banner of Truth edition, which includes his journal and his diary. So I'd really encourage you to pick that up. I would say, so for the past 270 years, the evangelical church has, been, uh, has, has highly esteemed uh, brainers, but I, I would say that in recent decades the church has largely forgotten about him. So there's much to learn, I, I would say, from David Brainerd. Well, for my part, why am I talking about him this morning? For my part, I actually just recently had the privilege of writing a, a Master of Theology dissertation on Brainerd. So he's been a, 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 a man who I've been studying, been very encouraged and inspired by. And what I want to do this morning then, as we move into the body of this talk, is answer one question. 
One question. We got about 20 minutes. One question. It's a one point talk, so you should hopefully not get lost. The question is this What is it that motivated Brainerd to enter into cross cultural missionary work? What is it that motivated Brainerd to enter into cross cultural missionary work? So the question I'm going to be addressing is one of missionary motivation. When we read inspiring accounts of men like Brainerd and others, you can wonder why someone would go through the trials that these individuals experience to do what they did. What was the missionary motivation? Another way of framing the question would be this. What would possess a young man, just think about this, at 24 years of age, with tuberculosis, to leave the comforts of his own society, to enter into what was called in his day a howling wilderness, to bring the gospel to the natives of his day. What would possess a young man to do that? Um, it's important to recognize as well when we consider this age in church history that missionary work was not a common thing. So it was happening to a small degree, but it was not a significant focus of the church. So David Brainerd, if you think of the timeline, this is some 50 years before William Carey went to India. So William Carey, Van Amering's a bell, often called the father of modern missions, at least in the English-speaking world. This is some 50 years before the time of Carey. People weren't going to be missionaries in Brainerd's time. So what motivated him? Well, for reasons I'm not going to get into now, you can read about it yourself. Maybe you have. Uh, Brainerd, who had been studying at Yale College, believe it or not, Yale College was a good Christian training school back then. It is sadly no longer. Brainerd was expelled from Yale. Brainerd was expelled from Yale. So this, this season in his life was an incredibly difficult season for him. There's, 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 if you read in his diary at this time, he, he was... It was a very difficult season. What we find after his expulsion, however, is that for some time, he had, the Lord had been growing desires in his heart for missionary work. For example, in his diary entry, April 2nd, 1742, Brainerd states this, quote, For some time past, so thinking back even before he was expelled, I had much pleasure in the prospect of the heathens being brought home to Christ and desired that the Lord would improve me in that work, end quote. So you can see from this statement then that even before he was expelled, the Lord had, had sort of planted that desire in his heart to be working amongst the heathen as he referred to the lost natives. So similarly then, as these desires grew, he could say this, quote, my great concern was for the conversion of the heathen to Christ. Okay, so so far, we, in answering, trying to answer this question, what motivated David Brainerd to enter cross-culture missionary work? We could say at this point, very clearly, he's concerned about the conversion of the heathen. That much is straightforward. 
or to use more modern lingo, he wants to see the salvation of these people. He wants to see the salvation of these natives. So what, what that means then is he recognized that because they're outside of the sound of the gospel, they were lost. They were lost. He recognized that without hearing the gospel, they would, they would go to an eternal hell. Right? He recognized this. He recognized that because of their sin, they were under the wrath of God. And he also recognized that God has sent his son into this world to save sinners. And so that motivated him to go. Now, it's just at this point, all of these things just sort of uh, probably make sense. Right? This isn't maybe some super duper insight about Brainerd's motivations. A missionary's motivation ought to at least be in part the salvation of the lost, right? So in other words, up to this point, I would suggest that what we've seen of his motivations sort of seem to make sense. It's what you'd expect to hear from a missionary, at least a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching missionary, right? God is holy. Man is sinful. Man is under God's judgment. Man... If not hearing the gospel, they will go to hell. We still believe in hell, right? These are all true things. If man does not turn to God in repentance and faith and hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is damned. So yes and amen to all of that stuff, right? But again, I would suggest that this this is sort of what we would just expect to hear as far as missionary motivation. Was there more to it than that for Brainerd? Well, I think, I think there was, if you get to read him. Listen to another quote now from Brainerd. Brainerd said, quote, My soul was concerned, now this is interesting because it sounds contradictory. My soul was concerned not so much for souls as such, but rather for Christ's kingdom that it might appear in the world that God might be known to be God in the whole earth. Now, like I said, on the face of it, these two statements sort of seem contradictory. The one statement I made before of him, he said, quote, my great concern, my great concern was for the conversion of the heathen to God. And now he's saying, my soul was concerned not so much for souls, but rather for Christ's kingdom, that it might appear in the world that God might be known to be God in the whole earth. So if his, if his great concern was for the conversion of the heathen, from the first statement, how could he say that he was not so much concerned for souls in the second statement? What is he getting at? Here, are you guys following so far? Well, I would suggest that these statements are not contradictory if you can appreciate what he's emphasizing. And understanding this will open the door to understanding his missionary motivation that we want to learn from. You see, Brainerd understood that that salvation or conversion has a goal. Salvation 
or conversion has a goal. In other words, salvation leads to something. We could even say that salvation is a means to an end. I'm not sure if I actually like the way I've phrased this, because it sounds very utilitarian regarding the work of Christ. We're going to circle back around to this. But the point that I'm trying to make that, that, that I think you see in Brainerd is he understood that salvation leads to something. It leads to something. It's not an end in and of itself. In other words, the missionary motivation of Brainerd was not just to offer lost people a get-out-of-hell free card, right? That they could put in their back pocket and then go on their merry way with. That's not all he was motivated by. You know, sort of like making sure that you have car insurance or home insurance just to cover the potential accident that could happen, right? But it's just sort of in the back, you know, it's not really a priority of your, your <coughs> desires or your, your everyday life. It's just sort of there just in case. Oh, yeah, I've got my insurance. I'm good. Right? No, salvation leads to something. Salvation leads to something. And what is that? Well, I would frame it this way. And I think this, this encompasses... Brainerd's missionary motivation, it's, it's this. That the one true living triune God, the all-glorious creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth, be known, worshipped, and adored for who he is. Let me say it again. Missionary, Brainerd's missionary motivation was that the one true living God, the all-glorious creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth, be known, worshipped, and adored for who he is. For who he is. Now, with that emphasis in mind, just listen to his statements again. Again, my great concern was the conversion of the heathen to God. To God. Do you see that? My, my soul was concerned not so much for souls as such, so we could say only, right? But rather for Christ's kingdom, that it might appear in the world. And again, notice that God might be known to be God in the whole earth. That was his desire. Just listen to this emphasis now in some of his other statements. He said, quote, There appeared to be nothing of considerable importance to me but holiness of heart and life and the conversion of the heathen to God. So there it is. All my cares, fears, and desires, which might be said to be of a worldly nature, disappeared and were in my esteem of little more importance than a puff of wind. Now notice this. I exceedingly longed that God would get a name to himself among the heathen. See that? So here Brainerd is referencing Malachi 1.11, which says, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. 
you from Calvary Grace here. You just heard Pastor Clint recently preach from Psalm 46. So you got that famous uh, verse that we all know. You've seen it on the posters. Pastor Clint talked about maybe, you know, there's a cute little kitten there on the, on the poster from the Christian bookstore. Be, you know, or, or your nice chair with your cup of coffee. Be still and know that I am God. Right? But, but, but what are we supposed to be still about and know? I will be exalted amongst the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. That's Psalm 46, 10. So Brainerd, knowing and believing these promises from the scriptures, he wanted to see this happen. And he wanted to be used to that end. Just listen to him again. He said, quote, Let Lord set up thy kingdom for thine own glory. Glorify thyself, and I shall rejoice. Get honor to thy blessed name, and this is all my desire. Do with me just what thou wilt. Blessed be thy name forever, that thou art God, and that thou wilt glorify thyself. Oh, that the whole world might glorify thee. Oh, let these poor people be, be brought to know thee and love thee for the glory of thy dear, ever-blessed name. End quote. So we can see then for Brainerd in crossing this cultural boundary, what he saw with his own eyes that God was not being worshipped, God was not being esteemed, God was not being adored, his name was not being reverenced among the heathen. And because of that, they were in deep darkness and misery. Just listen to a, a description of one of the tribes that he worked amongst. Quote, they are much attached. I mean, just think about um, many lost people groups still in our day. You, this could be a, a description of today. Quote, they are much attached to idolatry, frequently making feasts, which they eat in honor to some unknown beings, who they suppose speak to them in dreams, promising them success in hunting and other affairs. In case, it could be if, uh, they will sacrifice to them. They oftentimes also offer their sacrifices to the spirits of the dead, who they suppose stand in need of favors from the living, and they impute all their calamities to the neglect of these sacrifices. End quote. So you see, Brainerd recognized that because the heathen were lost, God's name was not being reverenced. It wasn't being esteemed and worshipped and adored amongst these tribes. The flip side of it is that the heathen did not know the joy and satisfaction of knowing the one true God. On the contrary, they were in deep darkness and misery. Well, there's one last point here that needs to be emphasized. 
Unless you think that Brainerd thought the conversion of the heathen and God's being glorified are sort of pitted against each other, or they're two mutually exclusive things. There's an important point to make that you see very clearly in his thinking. That's not it at all. Brainerd consistently emphasized that God's glory has been um, primarily and almost in a climactic way made known through the face of Jesus Christ. That's how we know God's glory. And, and all, all, of, all of the work that, that um, Jesus Christ accomplished, Jesus Christ, his cross work, his resurrection. So just listen to another quote from Brainerd, speaking of a recent convert. Again, he's making an observation of this convert. He said, quote, It seems as if he who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has now shined in his heart and given him the light of an experimental, we could say experiential knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. This is a verse that's been referenced already at the conference. So in other words, Brainerd's deep desire and missionary motivation was that God be known and worshipped as God, that he get a name for himself amongst the nations by um, shedding his glory abroad in the hearts of people as it is expressed and shown in the face of Jesus Christ. In the face of Jesus Christ. Well, by way of application, just to wrap up, what can we learn then from Brainerd's missionary motivation? Specifically in reference to cross-cultural witness. Well, I would suggest that, I think it's pretty clear, probably not many people in this room will disagree with me, cross-cultural missionary work is not merely about offering people fire insurance. Or even to think of another sort of popular model that has been used, popular technique that's been used in recent decades. A proper missionary motivation is not going out and telling people that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. If you've used that, I I don't mean to discourage you or shame you. It's just incredibly man-centered, isn't it? If you think about it. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Oh, great. I, 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 I want to have, I, I have a good life. <laughs> God's on my side with that. Great. Sign me up. But there's no mention there of God being worshipped. Right? So, so a proper missionary motivation is not that. And I would suggest that, that one of the reasons why we see so much missionary failure in our day is because that, that missionary motivation is not there. It's not there. In our day, you, you, put, you, put, the, you put the sign-up sheet for the missionary, the missions trip on the, on the bulletin board in the church foyer and anybody can sign up and you go have your missionary adventure. 
right? Not to pick on the short-term mission thing, but, but is the proper missionary motivation there? The, the deep desire to see God get a name for himself amongst the nations. I think if that desire is not there, that's, the, the missionary team will not have the staying power which is required to endure the trials and challenges that cross-cultural missionary work will entail. So we could summarize it like this then. By way of application, the missionary motivation that has staying power is that through the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, God be known and worshipped as God among all the nations for his glory and for the everlasting joy of all peoples. Now, if you're familiar with John Piper, that statement's going to sound very Piperian, if you use that term. <laughs> now, the interesting thing is to consider, this is, this is, this is coming from Brainerd, who obviously was heavily influenced by Jonathan Edwards. So, I mean, we could say this sounds very Edwardsian. I, I would suggest it sounds biblical. Yeah. It sounds biblical. <laughs> um, so the salvation that Jesus Christ has accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection is, is um, getting us to that, right? What does 1 Peter 3.18 say? For Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, notice this, that he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to God. So salvation is bringing us somewhere. It's bringing us to worship the living triune God. This is the picture that we see, uh, I close with this, from Revelation 7. Any of you know this passage? After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. That's the end. Saying, Amen. Blessing and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Well, I'm going to close in prayer, and then we've got about five minutes for Q&A, and then it'll be lunchtime. Let's, let's pray. So, Father, I just request, even just after this little talk, on Brainerd, that there could even be some correction in our thinking, Lord, even in regards to cross, thinking about cross-cultural witness. Father, that even for, for each of us, probably most of us here will never enter into cross-cultural missionary work, and that yet you have called us to be witnesses for Christ wherever you have us. So Father, I pray that you would, you would attune our motivations that we would uh, deeply desire to see you get a name for yourself amongst all peoples. Even that the Lamb 
would receive the reward for his suffering. And Father, we do even just pray that in our churches in the coming generation, you would raise up workers with this motivation that we could even send uh, to the nations for the glory of your name and for the salvation of all peoples. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So yeah, we've got about five minutes here. I can still hear Josh talking. So I beat him. (laughs) Um, Any questions about Brainerd? Anything I said? In his diary, is it full of lots of scripture references? It is, yeah. It depends on the on the uh, it depends on the edition, but it is yeah. There's there's a lot of scripture in there. Yeah, yeah. Just a little further afield here, maybe, but um, God has obviously brought the nations to us in our Canadian cities yeah, like Calgary, and it's even reflected in Calgary Grace. It's wonderful, but. Given the motivations you have in mind, how can a, how can a local church or the local church leadership maybe target, if that's the right word, a particular um, people groups that, that maybe don't have the gospel? That's, that's, that's another two-hour talk, probably. Yeah. But, but just any quick thoughts as to maybe how you've, you've talked about that here? Yeah, I mean, I think what you're describing, just with, the, I mean, in, in, in the past couple generations, say, with globalization, the missionary landscape has very much changed. So, I mean, on the one hand, I, I, I personally, I would still want to maintain the, the word missionary. I still prefer using it to, for people that are sent to go to, 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 to reach unreached and, and unengaged people groups. Because I think that, that distinction is important to maintain. At the same time, what you're um, noting, Terry, is is the fact that with globalization, many people, even from what we could call unreached people groups, are coming to our own country. And even, I mean, what we're seeing, even amongst, even amongst um, historically Canadian po- population, or you use that, that word, like Steve Brain in, in Newfoundland. Mm-hmm. Well, technically, we actually have unreached people groups uh, here, even in our midst. Mm-hmm. So, 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 what that means then um, is, I think, to try to answer your question, it's basically, it starts with the local church. It has to start with the local church. This has been one of the big um, things that I've had to wrestle through in, in, say, the past decade or so, probably a little bit longer, in regards to my own sort of missionary motivations. Um, Ephesians 3 the church is God's mission strategy for the world. It is. It's not the sending agency. It's not the parachurch ministry. It is the local church. And so what that means then is being a city on a hill, as it were, right? Being that sort of compelling community as the local church that the surrounding communities actually start to take note of, right? On a corporate level. And then obviously on an individual level, I think just the... the personal evangelism, and so on, that we're all, called to, we're all called to be witnesses for Christ. Whatever sphere of influence 
Um, he has us in. So, I mean, a, sort of a conversation that you and I were having last night actually is, um, was it 1 Corinthians 7? Yeah. 1 Corinthians 7. Let's just flip there real quick. <clears throat> So I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to read the first verse here. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17. The point I'm trying to make, you can see in the heading there, if you got the ESV. So the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Just consider that. One of the things about coming to a session like this is maybe you can start to feel maybe a little bit of guilt that you're not a missionary going to the nations. <laughs> right? Well, according to the Apostle Paul, God has assigned you a life. He's assigned you a calling. Whatever it is. You're a teacher. You're, I'm a plumber. You're a, you're a stay-at-home mom. You're an engineer. Whatever it is. What Paul's getting at here is when the, the Lord called you and saved you, at least in part, to be a witness right there where you are. And the temptation can be, and I think one of the things that we've seen in recent generations in Christianity, is as soon as you get saved, oh, i got to go do the big super-duper thing for Christ. i got to go be the missionary. Well, it takes time to get there. Maybe the Lord has called you to that. But you need time to mature and grow and confirm that calling. He's called you to be a, a, a witness to Christ right where you are. If you think about it, that's the more challenging thing. The harder thing is witnessing to your friends, your family, your co-workers, your fellow students. Anybody can jump on a plane and go share the gospel with someone they don't even barely know the language, probably not going to get it right anyways, and then fly home and say, talk about all the amazing work you did. Right? We've been called, I know I'm going long here, but even with all the nations coming to us, it's the same thing. The Lord has put us in different spheres. Be a faithful witness in those spheres and recognize that that is your calling. That is your calling. Anything else? Josh is still going. Josh is still going. <laughs> um, our neighborhood is, well, I have all the stats because I'm part of the school council, but it's 65% English language learners in our neighborhood. Um, and and then the rest are really hard up people <laughs> yeah. in general. And yeah. and I've had many opportunities to like be a witness both in the school council and yet it's like we're putting our kids in a a public battle to be there. So my question is, is it okay? to offer a Bible study to the neighborhood in your home for women in the neighborhood kind of deal. Like, I, I, don't, I don't really know how to go forward. Right. Because we are planning to homeschool right, next right. year. And so... So you don't want to, you don't want to be... I don't want to, I don't want to leave the relationships that we've built. Right. Kind right. of deal. Yeah. Because we have. Yeah. 
and and I know that there's going to be this sense of loss and this sense of anger that right. we we've kind of just taken ourselves out of the public school system. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think a Bible study could be a perfectly valid thing. It could be great. I mean, obviously, you want to talk talk with your husband about that and figure figure that stuff out just as 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 a whole. Yeah. But I mean, there's a whole number of things. I mean, one one of just a beautifully simple thing is just um, asking <laughs> folks that you know that you're witnessing to if they would just want to read the Bible with you. Yeah. Just one to one Bible reading. It's just I don't so think simple. Anybody's there yet where they actually want to like, right. do targeted stuff. Right. Right? Whereas right. like in a Bible study it's more like you can just kind of sit there <laughs> and like see what other people are thinking. Right. Versus like really commit yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean I think I I think that if people are gonna come Yeah. <laughs> you got you got opportunity yeah. to do a Bible study. Yeah. It's great. I mean I think it is part of one of the challenges of living in our sort of um you know Canada is a is a uh, what's the term again? It's a cold culture, not a warm culture. Yeah. Not not cold meaning weather wise, but we you know <laughs> we like to cocoon ourselves off. You can pull into your double attached garage and never wave at your neighbor. Yeah. Live beside them for ten years and not even know their name. Yeah. And Canadians sort of like it like that. Yeah. So then, how do you get across those boundaries? I mean, I think at the end of the day, there's no silver bullet. It's just trying to do your best to build relationships. Yeah. Um, well, so there's actually like more people talking to each other now than ever before. Right. And I think I've had an influence on that being such a farm kid. <laughs> yeah. You know, talk to everybody, right? And, and yet at the same time, I know that us leaving is going to be a big loss in that. Right. And so it's how do I... How do I make it so that people feel like we're still engaged in the community and that we still care? Right. 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 Even though we feel like the battle for them needs to cease. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's not their battle. Yeah. 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 Um, one resource that comes to mind, I actually haven't read it. My wife has. She said it's very good. Um, Rosaria Butterfield, the gospel comes with a house key. Um, I think there's some pretty good challenging stuff in there. I mean, I think some of it is maybe a little bit more Southern states culturally, what she's engaged in, but nonetheless, I think it's a very, um, pretty neat example of what she does. Just the idea of just having people in your home. We do. Right. Yeah. And just continue to do that. Okay. Yeah. And, and also like we have such a large population of Muslims in our neighborhood and, and to even start the conversation is hard. Yeah. Really hard. Yeah. Because they, Poppy's teacher is a Christian, and she said that she wanted the kids in the classroom to kind of have an idea of, of what all the different religions were. So she put a, pic, a coloring page of St. Patrick up there because it was around that time, and the Muslim kids started to like defame it, right? And oh. she, so she had to take it to the principal even. And, and thankfully, the principal backed her up. Right. But it was, it, it's really hard. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. It's not, it's not an easy battle. <laughs> no. Yeah, no. Canada, Canada has changed. But I mean, I think just recognizing the, the opportunity that, that we have at our doorstep here, too. Mm. For sure. Can yeah. I just speak to the Muslims? I just, my neighborhood is a lot of Muslims, so we've been sharing the gospel with some Muslims, and the Lord just keeps on sending Muslims to us. 
And um, we have a friend who lived in Egypt when, and who was really persecuted, like his friends were. And he just said that the Lord just kept on saying, just don't love them. Yeah. Like, just welcome them to your home, welcome them no matter what kind of person you fit. They destroy your picture, your school, welcome them in, and that's like, because yeah. they don't have that same love. Sometimes we can look at these cultures because they have like a community. Yeah. So it seems like it's true love, but it's not. They don't know. It's almost like they're like watching each other. Make sure you don't talk to that woman. Kind yeah, of deal. it's pure like religion, and there's yeah. so much fear. Like I'm like, there's so much fear and depravity. Yeah, and it's some yeah. kids of my number <coughs> starting to come over. Yeah, <laughs> well, just show them the, yeah. the incredible love of Christ, and that's yeah. And for and a lot of Muslims too, they come to Christ. They are basically ostracized from that community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So be reassured to know that there's community waiting for them. Yeah. yeah. Not that it's an end to itself. Yes. But they're very communal based. Well, that's part of God's design, the yeah. church. Yeah. 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 For sure. Well, why don't we close? People can definitely feel free to keep on talking, conversing, and so on. We should probably slowly sort of trickle downstairs for lunch to try to stay on time. But yeah, thanks for all coming.